was an important one in politics, not least for the Conservative Party. Four hopefuls locked horns in order to wrest the party leadership into what they each claimed would be their capable hands. And in process, they came under intense scrutiny, facing rigorous questioning from both press and their fellow politicians. Perhaps the controversy of the early week surrounded the young contender, David Cameron, and in particular, his alleged use of drugs whilst at university. The issue wasn't so much, did he or didn't he, but why rather was he apparently evading the questions? Now, as to whether he was being elusive, I can't comment, but if so, he certainly wouldn't be the first politician to show such form. Uh, Indeed, sidestepping hard questions seems to be a key political skill. And yet, in all walks of life, we find, don't we, that it's often very hard to get straightforward answers to our straightforward questions. Nevertheless, it's with a degree of refreshing contrast that we come to Christianity and that we come to the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, uh, one in whom there is no subterfuge. In fact, when Jesus lived on earth, he was asked some very direct questions to which he gave some very clear and direct answers. Clear answers about God, clear answers about humanity, clear answers about how God and human beings can relate. And therefore tonight, I want us to be questioning, uh, not a politician, you'll be thankful to know, but rather questioning Jesus as a crowd did some 2,000 years ago. Now, this particular Q&A is recorded in the Bible and in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. We're going to read it now. And there are few Bibles. It's on page 1,070, if you need one of those. John 6:25 to 35 When they found him that's Jesus on the other side of the lake they asked him rabbi when did you get here Jesus answered I tell you the truth you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your fill do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. 
It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen. There were two main questions which were directed at Jesus in this incident that we've read. And the first could be summarized by the query, what must we do? What must we do? Now, to understand this, we have to get something of the backstory here. Uh, just recently, some friends of ours gave my wife and I uh, a copy of the first series of Frasier. Frasier's a TV comedy. Previously, I'd only watched it once or twice on TV, and maybe I have a sense of humour bypass, but I didn't find it all that funny. Uh, nevertheless, having watched the first few episodes which set up the story, uh, all of a sudden I was starting to get the jokes, at least most of them, and the plot was starting to fit together. Well, in this incident, the backstory is important. Here was a crowd of some 5,000 plus people who on the previous day had been taught by Jesus. And on the banks of Lake Galilee, where they were, in miraculous fashion, Jesus had fed them, producing the goods from a mere five loaves and two fish. Afterwards, Jesus' disciples had got into a boat and headed across Lake Galilee. And the next morning, the remainder of the crowd were puzzled by the fact that Jesus was no longer with them. He hadn't went with the disciples in the boat, and yet he was not with them on the shore. And so they assume he must somehow have got over to the other side, and they get into their boats and head across to Capernaum, where they find Jesus. Now, it's in this situation where they ask this question. And while it might seem a very spiritual question, and if someone asked it today, we might think they're very eager, very hungry for spiritual things, nevertheless, Jesus points out that there are two problems with their question, indeed, two problems with the questionnaires. You see, on the one hand, he says that they have the wrong priorities. I tell you the truth, says Jesus in verse 26, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Yes, you're hungry, he says, but you're hungry for the wrong things. You've sought me out, not out of concern for your souls, but out of concern for your stomachs. And therefore, they seek Jesus insofar as he can give them a free lunch. Jesus has just provided food for 5,000 people, and so they think, well, perhaps Jesus could serve this up for us every day. And like so many people in the 21st century, they are focused wholly, solely, or at least mainly on material things, not spiritual things. The physical world is their priority. And so it's only when Jesus, you notice, puts the subject of God onto the agenda in verse 27 that they then raise this question in verse 28. 
Now, I don't know all of you personally, but I dare say that some of us suffer from this priority problem. It's not that we're totally disinterested in Jesus and in God. In fact, we hope to get round to spiritual things eventually. It's just that other things seem more important, more crucial, more pressing. It just seems more pertinent that we get that food on the table week by week. That we save up and buy that car we've been dreaming of. That we find the right girlfriend or guy friend. That we get the promotion. That we go the dream holiday trip. And yet, while we are trying to feed our stomachs, simultaneously we are starving our souls. We need God to fill our hearts, but instead we seek these other things to fill our bellies. This week I I watched a documentary, maybe you saw it, following the pop singer Robbie Williams. And Williams talked lots in that program about spirituality. In his typically confessional style, he said at one point, I'm 31, but there's still a void. It's not as big as it once was, but it's there. Maybe, he said, I'm going to try religion now. Spiritual stuff. Or maybe, he said, I'll just try and get a long-term girlfriend. You know, he's closer to the truth than he realizes. Because human beings, pop stars or otherwise, need God. And they need to put God at the top of their agenda. And therefore I wonder, what are your priorities tonight, this evening here in Charlotte Chapel? On this night when a brave group of people are saying in effect in baptism that spiritual things matter in our lives. Where does God fit on your scheme of things? But this wasn't the only problem that the crowd had, not just wrong priorities, but also wrong methods. Wrong methods. You see, these people were striving to meet God's requirements rather than simply receiving God's gift. You hear that in their question, don't you? What works must we do? No, we don't want to totally neglect that spiritual stuff they protest. Don't be so hard on us, Jesus. Just tell us what God wants and we'll do it. We'll do the deeds and we'll tick the boxes. But you see, unfortunately, their methods are mistaken. They're working on a works paradigm that doesn't work. And they're seeking to satisfy God rather than letting God satisfy them. Which is the way it has to be. Now, I'm sorry to tell you this if uh, you've not been thinking about it, but Christmas is coming. It's nine weeks away today. Why is it that one of the things we hate, or at least I hate, mortifies me, when someone buys you a gift, and it's a surprise gift, i.e. you haven't bought something for them, and it's too late? Is it because we do not really believe in receiving something for nothing? We like to be reciprocators, not mere receivers. And in relating to God, we're just the same. We'd rather trade with God than simply trust God. However, there's a problem with that method, isn't there? Why, if there's anything we have to offer God, then it's nothing more than our sin. Our selfish hearts, our selfish attitudes, our turning away from God. So that the only thing 
which God deserves to reciprocate us with, is his righteous judgment. No personal merit, that method just isn't going to cut it at all. And this is precisely what Jesus points out in his answer. He says, forget about the many works that you are trying to do and focus on having a sole priority. The work of God, notice that it's singular, not plural, the work is this. There is one thing needful and it is part of a divine plan, a divine agenda, not your agenda. Namely, to believe in the one he has sent. You see, the key question, says Jesus, is not what works must I do for God, but rather, what work has God done for me? God has dispatched his Son from the courts of heaven to enter our sinful world to be its saviour. And your job, says Jesus, if you want to call it that, isn't to try harder, but to trust him. Now, we just don't like that, do we? Uh, in our sceptical culture. We don't trust authority figures. We project those ideas onto God. We think he's like that. And we don't like this notion of holding onto a lifeline which God throws down to us. One activity that I once took part in, but never again, was abseiling. I loved every part of it except the height. And the worst bit, the part I just couldn't cope with, was the idea that my life rested in someone else's hands. Nothing I could do if they let go of the rope, the support. And yet, spiritually speaking, whether we like it or not, the reality is we are climbing some very dangerous peaks in life and in eternity. And the question becomes, therefore, not are we climbing, but are we trying to climb solo to our peril? Uh, Two years ago, was the 50th anniversary of uh, the conquering of Mount Everest when Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay made it to the summit. What I didn't know till recently was that the climb nearly ended in disaster almost before it started. Hillary slipped and was hurtling down a crevice on a block of ice to certain death before Tenzing tightened the rope. Friends, who's going to hold you? Who's going to hold me when we're slipping down a precipice to a lost eternity? Who's going to take the stream to cover up your mistakes, your slip-ups, if not Jesus? You see, only Jesus can lift us up and bring us safe to the heights of eternity. But sadly, this crowd, they still want to trade rather than trust. And so they pose Jesus a second question. This time, what sign? Jesus, will you give? You want us to believe in you, Jesus, that's fine, but we'll only trust in you if you give us a sign, the miraculous. And what they call for is a miracle surpassing another great miracle from Israel's past. They recollect something which took place after the Israelites were set free from captivity in Egypt. When in the desert for 40 years, they received bread from heaven, a daily supply uh, to eat every day. And this happened uh, under the auspices of the leader of the time, a man named Moses. So they challenged Jesus, if you're really on a par with Moses, then produce a greater miracle than that. Then we'll believe you. 
But while they sound assured, in actual fact, Jesus reveals that there's all-out confusion in their thinking. First of all, there's confusion about the giver. In this previous miracle, Jesus says, giver of the bread wasn't Moses, but God. Yes, Moses was a great man of God, but he wasn't God. Bread of the physical type, actually, I'm speaking of a different kind of altogether. I have some American friends who, when they first came over to the UK, were invited out to someone's house for tea. And they didn't realize it in Scotland. I'm speaking metaphorically and symbolically. And I'm talking about the true bread that comes from heaven. Something more than mere food that satisfies your physical appetites and nothing more. Rather a food source which grants your deepest satisfaction in the very depths of your soul. This is the bread of life. Giving not just physical life, but life for eternity. And it's not just for some people, not just for one nation like Israel. It is for all people, all nations, for the world. Now, we're hardly surprised at this point, are we, that the crowd still don't have a clue what Jesus is talking about. Uh, They know that Jesus is going off in something here, but they're not sure what. Uh, And yet they think, well, this must be decent food with all these attributes, and we're hungry, so come on, Jesus, just give us a meal, give us some food. No wonder Jesus had to bring clarification. And he states things as plainly and as simply as possible. He says, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, let's be clear about who the bread is. I am the bread of life. Satisfaction comes from God to you through me. And moreover, let's be clear about how this bread is received. Not by eating it, but rather by coming to me and by trusting in me. And let's be clear about how long the bread will satisfy. Well, forever, he says. You won't get hungry again. Your soul won't need to come back for second helpings once you've tasted this bread. Now, perhaps we say to this, well, this is all fine, but how can Jesus possibly offer me such an amazing thing? Eternal life, a relationship with God. Well, you see, a short time later, just before he was crucified, Jesus enjoyed a meal with some of his close followers. And we're told that on that occasion, Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. He says, this is a good picture of what's going to happen to me for you. Broken bread. Shortly afterwards, Jesus went to a cross where he was broken so that we might be healed. Where he died in our place to deal with the disease found in our hearts, the human heart. You know, all over the news this week, people have been worried about bird flu and uh, the possibility that it might mutate and spread. But I've got bad news for you. There's another disease that's already epidemic in the human heart. It's sin. And it's fatally bad for your spiritual health. And the one way to recovery is through Jesus. 
to believe in the one who died for our sins and paid the price for them. One who, like broken bread, was torn so that our lives might be mended back together. And so that we might trust in Him and all our days be satisfied in Jesus alone. Some of you who are being baptized uh, this evening, you already know this. You've already fed, as it were, on this bread. And in baptism, shortly, you'll be saying, in effect, I'm satisfied with Jesus. He's what I need. He's all I need. And I encourage you to always be satisfied in Him. Don't change your diet somewhere down the line. Some of you here, you're maybe on the fringe of Christian commitment. And you count yourself a Christian, but you know there are some steps that you need to take. Risky steps. And you need to be assured that Jesus, the bread of life, has all the resources you need to to take those steps. Make those steps. Climb a little higher. Jesus has the rope. You can trust in Him. And some of you perhaps have seen your commitment to Jesus wane in recent years. A few years ago, Jesus was all you needed for satisfaction. Today it's your music, your girlfriend, your job. Nothing wrong with these things when they're kept in their place but when they take the central place, they don't satisfy. And so I urge you tonight, that's you, to stop eating junk food. You're going to get a spiritual tummy of the most serious kind. But in conclusion, maybe tonight, you're not a Christian at all. Maybe you're not a Christian and you'd like to be. You know, the funny thing that happens when we ask questions of Jesus, and it happens every time, is that Jesus' answers are so direct, so clear, so profound, that every time questions come back in our direction. And so tonight, if you're not sure about where you stand with God, then Jesus asks you two very simple, very direct questions. First of all, he asks, have you received this bread? Is Jesus your only source of soul satisfaction? And if not, he secondly asks you, do you believe in me? Will you believe in me tonight? I wonder, what answer will you give to him this evening? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this evening for the Bible that brings to us the life-changing message the good news about Jesus. We thank you that he is the king. We thank you that he is your son. We thank you that he is the bread of life, the one who brings eternal life to us through his death. Father, we pray tonight that you might bring us to a deeper knowledge of him. Lord, help us to trust your son, we pray. And as we now come to the waters of baptism, May it be a symbol to each one of us of what it means to be satisfied in Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.